Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is psychotherapist and philosopher Piero Ferrucci, author of The Power of Kindness, Beauty and the Soul, and Inevitable Grace. His newest release is Your Inner Will, which is coming from Tartar Penguin next week on September 11th. This book explores human resilience and the various facets that compose our concept of the will and provides concrete lessons in developing internal willpower during times of personal crisis. I am very pleased that he could join us all the way from Italy. Welcome, Piero. Good morning, everybody. (laughs) And it, of course, is evening your time. Anyway, you know, All of us experience periods of despair, fear, and uncertainty, and indeed the whole world seems to be going through a period of global gloom. How can inner will help us to get through this? Well, um, will is uh, where it shapes our life. uh, It's about uh, what decisions we make, how we relate to others what ideas we want to support and sustain in our life, what orientation we want to have. It's, uh, often uh, we, people think about will as just uh, making uh, an effort. That's not um, how I think about it. It's uh, more about uh, choice and about uh, getting in touch with the, uh, the capacity of uh, uh, deciding which way you want to go and to be in charge of the situation. In reading your book, um, I was actually impressed at the the many different aspects of will that you cover. And it really, so many elements feed into it. Um, it, it is far from just making simple choices. And I think one of the problems of our society is that we feel so disempowered. And what you are showing in your book are ways to recapture the, the, the impulse, the, the, the uh, control of your choices and to make more um, life-affirming ones. Now, you were very influenced by the work of your teacher and mentor, Roberto Assagioli. Oh, I love that name. The founder of Psychosynthesis. Now, could you please just define briefly Psychosynthesis? How has it influenced your book, the, Your Inner Will? Well, you see, Assagioli uh, was uh, uh, a psychoanalyst in the beginning. That was in the beginning of... Uh, a century, Freud uh, looked at him as uh, uh, a possible representative of his work in Italy. But then, as a jolly that uh, um, psychoanalysis was not enough, that you knowing ourselves um, is not enough. We have to be able to take decisions to find our center, to be uh, in the inner world, and uh, he founded the, the system which he called psychosynthesis. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I met Asajoli uh, already a long time ago in 1974, when he was, uh, no, sorry, 1969, died in 74, and he was already quite old. He was, uh, uh, I would say, an old at that time. 
I came uh, to him because uh, he was interested in uh, an expansion of uh, consciousness in uh, transpersonal um, uh, states of mind, and uh, I wanted to study that. Uh, Jolly was, however, quite, uh, uh, gave a lot of importance to uh, the will as well. He thought that was uh, the Cinderella of modern psychology in those times. Now I don't think it is anymore. There are many studies that uh, support the idea that uh, you can train the will, that uh, the uh, executive function, as sometimes it's called in neuroscience, is uh, basic uh, to our... Uh, you cannot uh, will to have certain feelings, for instance. There are some things that the will cannot do, but uh, um, others that it can, especially if uh, uh, we're able to train. So my thought was definitely shaped by psychosynthesis, even uh, thinking, however, that the psychosynthesis is an open system. It's not uh, a closed system that will remain uh, equal to itself uh, forever. Uh, my website, in fact, uh, I just came out... Uh, um, was renewed today, and I have in it a section that's called the, the Spheres of Indra, and the, the, god, uh, the god Indra and the paradise, which is made of uh, spheres that mirror each other, so that each sphere mirrors uh, all the other spheres and all the reflections of all the other spheres into each other. And uh, I start from that um, to... Uh, talk about all the people that have influenced me in my life and uh, that I carry with me. We all carry everybody else that we have known uh, mm. inside of us. And, yes, uh, you, you uh, actually wrote in your book that we do not have interactions with others. We are made of interactions with others. Um, I, I really like that sentence. So how does that um, composite, how does that, the synthesis of all these interactions um, relate to our autonomy, for example? Relate to what, excuse me? Um, I think you brought it up in the context autonomy, of autonomy, yes. yes. Oh, yes. Um, well, I think that, I, I would say there are two uh, basic principles in our life. Uh, one is that uh, we want to be individuals, we want to be autonomous, and we want to assert ourselves. Uh, at the same time, we realize that we are part of uh, a greater whole, um, and that uh, we cannot uh, live without the relationships, that uh, Others, so to speak, are inside us. Uh, all the memories, all the interactions, all the uh, thoughts, all that uh, we have been given, whether it was good or bad or so-so, we carry within ourselves. Uh, however, if there is too much of uh, um, being open to others and and just relating, we lose ourselves. If there's too much of the autonomy, um, we become like an island. We uh, uh, stop all relationships with uh, others, uh, if that uh, 
were even possible. So we have to find the balance. We have to get uh, both aspects functioning. And that's what, uh, in working with people, I look at. Um, sometimes one aspect is uh, stronger, sometimes uh, the other is stronger. And uh, probably the best thing is to balance the two. Well, that seems to be uh, a great rule of life, finding that golden mean, finding that balance. Um, tell us about the relationship between attention and the will. Attention. Attention. Yes. Oh, well, um, see, there are many different ways of uh, willing, and uh, often we have in mind uh, a, a will that... Um, is some, somewhat like the Victorian will, that is just uh, forceful, without any attention and without, without much attention, without much uh, uh, compassion. Um, just uh, um, imagine, um, for instance, having to carry a, a tray with, uh, um, let's say, a few cups of coffee across... Uh, a crowd of people, and uh, you have to do it quickly, and maybe they're going to push you, and uh, who knows what's going to happen. Um, we are a bit like that in our life. We are just uh, subject to many influences, uh, just uh, at the same time when uh, we have to make decisions and we have to do what we have to do. And that is why it's important to find... Uh, an inner sanctuary, a, a place in us where we can find ourselves, where we, we can be conscious and attentive and even become pure attention, naked attention. And that is, uh, we could call our center or our I. Now, if we uh, can will, if we can make decisions from that space, that's very, very different than if uh, we uh, make decisions from uh, a place of anger or revenge. Uh, that's not the kind of will that we want to make. And uh, so uh, attention is uh, uh, basic, as the Buddha said, uh, 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 attention is the way to immortality and uh, those who are uh, inattentive, it's as if they were already dead. Mm. If there's no attention, we, uh, uh, there's nobody there. You also um, used attention in, in the sort of law of attraction sense, where that to which you place your attention tends to grow in your life. Definitely. Uh, that is such a, a basic point to me that... Uh, it's as if we had uh, a garden and uh, we can uh, water whatever we want in that, uh, let's say, vegetable garden. Um, and if we do it consciously, whatever we give uh, our attention to will grow. In fact, uh, Asajoli, my uh, mentor, was doing uh, experiments in this with uh, flowers a long time I met, I, I met him, I think it was in the 50s, he would give um, to people uh, two sets of uh, flowers, uh, still unopened, uh, and I think they were lilies, because lily maybe 
is uh, the flower of Florence. And um, he would ask them uh, to give, to water them equally, but then to give uh, attention, a special attention to one and no attention to the other. And what would happen? And uh, inevitably, the one that was given attention, which is uh, equal to uh, actually another level to water the plant, was growing much more. And uh, uh, this is what happened, uh, what happens in our inner lives. It would be very good to think of what are the aspects, the activities, the relationships, the projects that we want to give uh, our attention, um, our attitudes as well. Our, we want to give our attention, therefore, feed and uh, all the rest that we don't want to give attention to. And uh, just let it uh, uh, wither away if that is possible. It's not always possible, but uh, I actually see so many people giving intense attention to uh, uh, negative aspects of themselves and or dysfunctional aspects of themselves. And uh, in that way, they do some kind of reverse uh, therapy. They, they um, uh, give energy to uh, everything that they want to get rid of. But it doesn't work that way. You know, the experiment that uh, Asajoli did with the lilies kind of reminds me of modern parenting where um, too many parents feel that if they just give their children the, the, the food, the shelter, the education, the material things without giving them the attention and the love that they have done their duty. And um, it seems to me that like, like the flourishing lily, that they would do the children would do much better with more attention and less material um, recompense. How oh. true that is uh, for children and uh, for all other relationships as well. But of course, for children, it's more important because they're more sensitive. They're in the formative years of their lives. And uh, so that's uh, doubly important. Uh, it's also important in... Uh, uh, I can see it in my work in therapy, and um, uh, sometimes I uh, teach my students and tell them to uh, uh, just uh, uh, care that uh, they give the best quality of attention to their um, clients, and uh, that is the main thing. And sometimes they're quite uh, puzzled by that statement. They think they... Uh, need all kinds of uh, tool and technique, and uh, but it doesn't work that way. And also with uh, children, I know that many parents think that uh, if um, we give too much attention to children, uh, we spoil them. Uh, I don't agree. I, I think if we give uh, anxious attention, uh, maybe we spoil children, but uh, if we learn uh, to uh, be with them, they will learn to be with us and they will learn to relate. And attention in this day and age, you mentioned before the, uh, the times we're living in, there is a great uh, danger of uh, 
pulverizing attention. Uh, I am all for di digital means and digital technology, but uh, I can also see the dangers and I can see people trying to do two things at the same time and interrupting conversation because they have to look at their cell phones. I'm, I'm sure that the kind of um, behavior is ubiquitous and uh, uh, talking with somebody while they're um, uh, answering their emails and so on and so on. Um, in this country, actually, I must say, you also see people, even though it's illegal, you see people um, uh, speaking on the phone. Uh, while they drive. <laughs> Actually, once even so, you, but, you want to be scared as looking at people text on the phone while they drive. <laughs> well, I once was uh, on the phone with a person that uh, answered, uh, uh, on the car with a person and uh, the phone rang and he answered and uh, he was talking and uh, then uh, another phone rang and he answered the other phone. <laughs> And I later discovered that one was his lover and one was his wife. <laughs> I don't know which uh, phone that was, but uh, I took hold of, uh, of the uh, wheel and I uh, was a bit concerned. <laughs> Not for him. I, I would be concerned about uh, speaking the wrong message into the wrong phone. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, tell us... Uh, we hear uh, a great deal about free will, and there are two camps. There's the, the camp of free will and the camp of determinism, and you seem to kind of weave your way in between the two in a kind of intermediate position. What is your view of, of free will? Well, I think that uh, uh, our subjective experience uh, you see, I, I have a philosophic, but then I became a psychotherapist, and that changed things uh, quite a bit, because as a psychotherapist, I accompany people in their everyday life, and I can see what makes them suffer, and I can see what's uh, happy, and uh, people are happier when they become responsible for their lives, and when they are in charge, when they are the ones to take uh, decisions, when they are able to carry on their projects, when they are able to uh, not to other people's will, but uh, uh, if uh, that uh, is needed to uh, affirm their, their own uh, will. Uh, so uh, I'm quite influenced by that, and I think that the part of uh, somebody's uh, health is uh, um, psychological health, is discovering or rediscovering and cultivating one capacity, one's capacity to will, which includes many things, includes uh, making acts of courage, for instance, or sustaining a project uh, through time without, uh, without being uh, discouraged, and so on and so on. However, here we come to where I weave, as you rightly said, I weave my way in between the two. It's also true that um, at times we have uh, experiences, even major experiences, peak experiences, in which uh, uh, 
the universe flows through us, that uh, decisions are not taken, but they just happen. And uh, everything that we uh, are just uh, happens effortlessly. And um, that is a state of grace. That is uh, um, an absolutely wonderful uh, uh, um, event when it happens. And we have to recognize it and honor it and give it the space it deserves in, in human life. Um, and in that, um, in that, uh, at that time, it's really thy will be done. It's, uh, as Dante says, in, in his will, meaning it's God, in God's will, if you believe in God or the Tao, whatever may be your creed, uh, is our peace. Uh, and there's this um, sense of everything effortlessly going on without anybody doing uh, it, which is heavenly. Uh, however, that doesn't happen all the time. And uh, then we, uh, after a little while, we again uh, have to land and we have to uh, uh, pay the bills and drive the kids to school and... Uh, do whatever needs to be done. And um, our lives are complex. Uh, we are subject to many pressures and to many stimuli. And um, that's where uh, our is handy. And if we don't have that uh, uh, instrument or that set of instruments, then we may be in trouble. We may start suffering. And then, you know, Sometimes the way in which I see um, uh, what the work that needs to be done is by, uh, with the will is by looking at an area. We all have uh, uh, areas in our life uh, that um, uh, are painful or that are not work or that are um, rusty or that something isn't quite right. And uh, usually... It is a matter of will, one way or another. It's, it is a matter of decisions that have to be taken or of uh, inner strength that has to be uh, cultivated. So, uh, again, you know, uh, both, uh, both things are true. Both things are true. They're just uh, different levels. I think that um, we can interpret the, uh, the universe around us in... Uh, different ways, a little bit like the Rorschach uh, blots, you know, the, I can mm -hmm. see um, determinists uh, interpreting what's happening in one way and looking at the uh, blot in one way and uh, uh, free willers instead uh, seeing the same blot in a different way, but it's still the same blot and it's still the same ink blot. Well, going back to the the notion of attention or, or perhaps perception, really, um, people often feel that they are um, carried along by circumstance and uh, really don't have choices in a situation. Um, are the barriers to exercising our free choice primarily internal? Is it, is it a question of fear? Um, 
you you mentioned one experiment that came out with the idea that it's a question of grit. Tell us tell us how we can best kind of marshal our inner reserves and exercise our choices. Well, I can tell you, of course, uh, you know, the uh, uh, outer world is, uh, is what it is. It, uh, sometimes we have to do what we have to do. We are obliged uh, and constrained by circumstances. But I want to tell you a story that uh, Asajoli, my teacher, told me during uh, uh, the fascist era, he was imprisoned at some point because uh, this was 1938, because he was uh, so just uh, a short time before the beginning of the war. And uh, uh, he was in prison because he was leading meditations on uh, peace and internationalism, can, can you think, in fascist Italy. So they took him to jail. And uh, uh, the first reaction was, of course, despair. Uh, it's not pleasant to be in jail. Then he realized that uh, uh, it's true that uh, he was constrained and obliged to be in jail, but uh, he still had the freedom to change his own attitude. Uh, in fact, he, want, he was going to write a book called The Freedom in Jail, and we still have the notes, but uh, he never wrote that book. But... Uh, the idea is that, that even in the most constrained of all uh, situations, we can still exercise greed, we can still find some inner freedom, or maybe of inner freedom. And uh, you were talking about uh, grit. Uh, there, there are many studies. There are many studies that, uh, uh, for instance, go and look at people that have been... Uh, made uh, redundant, who have lost their work, or who are in uh, all kinds of uh, difficulties. And usually there are uh, two um, series of reactions. One is to uh, resign oneself, to be uh, depressed, be angry, to think that uh, uh, that is inevitable. The other one, instead, is... Uh, exercising your grit, re uh, reading uh, the situation in a different way, reading it uh, as a challenge, as a possibility to uh, um, uh, evoke all the inner resources that uh, you uh, haven't been able to use yet. And uh, if you look at, um, uh, there is a study on uh, um, uh, sport champions or Olympic champions, for instance. And uh, in the um, personal story of any champion, you can find uh, times of demise, times of difficulty, difficulty with their teammates, with the trainer, with their family, with their own body, with whatever. And uh, uh, the idea was that uh, uh, the ones who actually ended up uh, winning the medal were the ones who were uh, not the ones who didn't have problems. In fact, they had them just like everybody else, but uh, they met them in a different spirit. They met them with uh, uh, grit, with courage, with uh, persistence. And uh, they read the whole situation in a completely different way. There are many studies on 
that also positive psychology that did a lot of study on, on this subject. And how does that relate to resilience? Very much so, very much so, because uh, also resilience is a, a topic that has been studied quite uh, a bit in the past uh, few years, and um, uh, the, the point is exactly that. They went and uh, uh, looked at um, what happened uh, in front of a great catastrophe, like an earthquake or a, a war or a forced uh, uh, emigration. Uh, for instance, there was a study on uh, Vietnamese children who had just to emigrate to, uh, to uh, America without uh, nothing, and we, they had to adapt to American schools, and they had to learn their ways. Uh, there, there was uh, a study on... Uh, Children, I think it was some, somewhere in Africa, I think it was in Ethiopia, uh, the children that just had to uh, run away around 12, 13, because their families had been uh, uh, exterminated, and they just had to survive in the middle of nowhere uh, with the you know, lions running around. Uh, so people that have been in very dramatic circumstances, and variety of uh, factors that um, uh, did it for them because, uh, you know, of course, some people succumb and some people instead uh, make it. And the people who make it are the ones who, uh, um, uh, first of all, read the situation or experience the situation in a different way. They see it, uh, as I said before, as a challenge. Secondly, uh, they are the people who uh, uh, seek for cooperation and uh, for the help of other people when, whenever that uh, is, uh, is possible. They uh, look at uh, uh, practical things to be done and they give, uh, we were talking about it before, they give more uh, energy and attention to all the positive aspects uh, of uh, their situation, which uh, may be hard to find, but you can still find uh, something in any situation that is uh, uh, at least a little good for you. And uh, they are the ones uh, who make it. Do you think that this quality of resilience or... or uh looking for solutions as opposed to focusing on the problem. Is this something that is innate, is part of the existing character, or is it brought out and cultivated by the situation? Um, I think it, uh, it's innate, but uh, so many times it's just... Uh, um forgotten. We forget that we have it, uh, uh, especially when we live a life that's uh, easy and uh, has no challenges. Then when the challenge comes, people may be able to um, connect with, um, with that uh, inner strength. In fact, when I lead group on this subject, I often ask people, remember time when uh, you brought up your inner strength? And they often talk about these times of crisis, and they realize that uh, they do already have uh, 
the strength. Uh, also, however, there's the third possibility, and that is you can uh, learn and you can teach this uh, this strength. You can learn to uh, uh, see yourself in a different way. You can cultivate uh, some qualities. Uh, you find in a in a different way. Uh, you can change uh, the concept uh, you have of yourself. You can get more in touch with uh, your own, uh, not just your own inner strength, but the, all the varieties of the strength and capacities that you already have. Um, you can train uh, your will. Uh, you can um, learn to find your center, which is the part of you that uh, is untouched by... Uh, difficult times. Uh, there's a part of us that is uh, like a sanctuary. There's, uh, it's uh, in uh, happiness and in despair. Uh, it remains the same. It's very useful to uh, be in touch with that part of us because uh, it's there that we can find uh, the sense of our life. Is that analogous to what some people might call the soul? Uh, well, recently I saw a thesis of uh, uh, a possible uh, book, in fact, of a, uh, a colleague of mine, and uh, he found uh, different names, um, among which the, the soul and the self and the Atman and the in the spark and uh, many, many others uh, that were given to it in various uh, cultures. So it has been recognized. Of course, they are. Uh, it has been recognized by many people in the different cultures. I would say it's uh, universal, even though uh, these words may be uh, approximate. It's not something that you can measure you can it's something that you point to and uh, uh, when you have uh, the experience you know it is a little bit like when uh, you learn to go on the bike that you cannot really explain how it is to maintain uh, some kind of balance when you go on the bicycle but uh, once you get it you you get it and then you can refer to it again mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Going back to your previous point, I, I have lived in England for many years and I was struck by how uh, nostalgic people were about the war years, the World War II years mm -hmm. in England, um, primarily because um, there was this a, a, a feeling of solidarity, feeling of togetherness, of oneness, and also perhaps relating to, to what you said, people were finding the reserves inside themselves. They were proud of how they coped with the situation, and um, there was a sense of community and relationship. That's true. Well, the uh, the challenge now is to, to find the same thing in times of peace. Indeed. So we, can, uh, we can have both things. I agree with you. I've uh, uh, um, I've met, especially in the past, people that uh, 
thought that uh, uh, those times were in some way uh, cleaner, even though uh, it's nothing that we want to wish uh, for it to come again. However, uh, it's true that, you know, for instance, in times of war, there are less suicides. And uh, that doesn't make me wish to uh, that <laughs> come again, but it's something that we, we have to look at. You know, why? Why is it so? Uh, and, uh, there are reasons, of course, and they are the reasons that you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. You um, talk, You say nothing is more democratic than the will that it, it is for everybody. Um, and is it also in every situation? Even when we are depressed and at our lowest point, um, how do we kind of tune into that reserve of will? Um, yes. I, uh, first of all, let me say that uh, it is democratic because uh, there are things. Life is not democratic. You know, some people have uh, a lot of talent, and some people don't, and. Uh, some people are physically beautiful, at least in the sense, and some people are not or are less, and some people are healthy and some people are not, and some people have a lot of money and are born in a rich family and some people aren't. And will we may have already quite a bit, or we may not have much, but uh, we can develop it. It's something that... Uh, uh, if we want it, we can have it. And uh, when we are depressed, uh, of course, uh, you know, it's um, hard to go and uh, I wouldn't go to a depressed person and tell him, uh, well, now make some act of will and uh, get out of this. Uh, remember, you have inner strength. That is the kind of uh, thing that a depressed person would uh, hate to hear. <laughs> Of course, and uh, depressed people uh, need, first of all, uh, to uh, have empathy and understanding and uh, warmth uh, rather than stimuli. Stimuli uh, may uh, and poddings may make them even more depressed. So the idea is to uh, be with them and to empathize with them. However, at some point they may be able to realize that um, they can uh, choose, that they can choose uh, attitudes. And uh, uh, if not making a, a, an act of will in the physical, they can at least uh, um, uh, choose which idea to uh, sustain, which uh, uh, a quality, uh, uh, which inner quality to give uh, energy to, as we were about before, and maybe even to make uh, a small act of will, like uh, to get up and go for a walk, because uh, um, already energizing um, and using one of our functions already makes us uh, feel better. Of course, mm -hmm. there are some cases of uh, depression which um, are too strong and need to be treated in a different way. But uh, the point is, see, uh, we are living in a society that uh, um, 
in a way, uh, it, it, our times are uh, wonderful and incredibly interesting and beautiful. Also, in some way, um, there's, there's a lot to be worked. And in some countries, uh, consumptions of um, of uh, um, chem chemicals uh, of um, medicines uh, to cure depression and anxiety uh, uh, quadrupled in, in the last 10 years. And um, I see that in itself is the best kind of reaction to a, a difficulty. That's like saying, oh, there's nothing else I can do, so I'll just take uh, a few pills. And that is a sign of uh, that, in a way, increases our weakness. It's like... Uh, taking our powerlessness and just uh, bowing to it and you know, just uh, making it even uh, more so. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, that, I think, is uh, a problem of the era. I couldn't agree more. It, um, it feels like we are giving permission to people to wallow um, in, or, or, or to, um, by giving an, the name to a depression or to it a, as a disease, that it kind of lifts the responsibility from their shoulder. I mean, if in times of stress, war, um, natural catastrophe, people pull together and there is less suicide, less depression, and so on, because people are focused on a more primal need of just survival. Um, I, I'm, I'm not for a moment suggesting that people who are depressed, you know, can that a proper response is to just say, pull up your bootstraps and get on with it. Um, but but we, we, we need to um, help them and help ourselves find our center. You, you, you talk about integrity in a number of ways. Uh, putting the person back together. Let, let's focus on integrity for a moment. How do you define that? Well, integrity is uh, when uh, uh, there is no distance or very little distance between what uh, you believe in, what uh, your principles are, and what you actually do in uh, your life. Uh, often we are double also because uh, we have a many the brains going uh, working at the same time, and so we believe in some principles. We want to be uh, honest and respectful, and uh, we want to be good people, and uh, you know, different ways. And uh, then we don't do it, and uh, we just uh, deny uh, through our actions all uh, uh, the principles that we hold so. Sacred and integrity is a lifetime task, of course, is to uh, bring the two a little bit uh, closer together. I won't say that we can, uh, our principle can perfectly coincide all our behavior. That sounds a little bit too rigid. Uh, but uh, we can uh, go quite a way in that direction. I'm just wondering if being out of integrity with ourselves um, 
is more widespread than we give credit to? And could that be a contributing factor in the rise of anxiety and depression? Uh, uh, definitely, yes. Uh, and uh, uh, the reason why uh, this is so, I believe, is that uh, our times are predominantly extroverted, um, much more than uh, other times in human history. Our attention is uh, drawn uh, out there to the outer world, to uh, other people, to uh, stimulate of any kind. There are so many stimuli, outer stimuli to which we are subjected that, that uh, we uh, tend to forget uh, about our own inner world. And if we forget about our inner world, we forget our own values. And uh, if we do that, then we, it's much easier to deny them. And, uh, and then we feel that something is wrong and we may not even uh, know why. An example of this is, for instance, we haven't talked about uh, a subject that I care a lot uh, also, and that is beauty. I think that we all, we all have a, a thirst for this uh, wonderful vibe, for the beauty of nature, for the inner beauty of uh, people, for the, inner, for the beauty of the moon, and, uh, uh, music and uh, all kinds of arts and so on and so on, uh, but uh, we forget it. And uh, if we don't uh, get enough beauty, then uh, we become depressed, and we may not even know why. It's like um, that uh, when people age, uh, they become less conscious of uh, uh, being thirsty. So we may be thirsty without even knowing it. And our body needs a lot of water and we don't know it. And it's thirsty and we don't know it. And uh, I think the same thing may happen with some values, among which beauty. And uh, we're just thirsty uh, and we need it desperately, but uh, we don't really know it. We cannot put it into words. We're not completely of that. And so... We feel lost, we have uh, panic attacks, we uh, uh, feel depressed, we feel irritated or whatever. I don't want to go without at least mentioning uh, a subject that you actually wrote a book about, which is kindness. Yes. Well, kindness is uh, love, is uh, warmth, is uh, the capacity to... Uh, uh, feel affection and uh, gratitude and um, uh, generosity and uh, loyalty towards other people. That is uh, uh, a, a wonderful um, value. And without it, uh, we don't uh, function. And uh, it doesn't function. Um, luckily, I think we're much more, much kinder than we think because... Uh, Many of us uh, think that the world uh, is, which it undoubtedly is, but um, it's not only brutal, it's based on the uh, acts of uh, kindness and uh, cooperation and, uh, and uh, sympathy and uh, help the whole time. 
And um, the image of, that we have, that science has, of human being has changed dramatically in the last, let's say, 20 or 30 years, that uh, we thought that uh, we were, um, as, uh, as it said in Latin, homo mini lupus, a, a, a wolf to, uh, to uh, each, everybody's a wolf to everybody else. <laughs> wolf, Civilization uh, of werewolves, yes. Yes. Well, wolves actually much kinder. It was thought also, incidentally. <laughs> uh, it's not so at all. We, yeah. we, we evolved, we survived uh, in this our magnificent evolution exactly because we're able to empathize and cooperate and uh, feel uh, uh, warmth and express warmth to... Uh, the people said, if we are if we are just a little kinder with other people, we are uh, empowering something that has been part of our evolution for a long time. It's not something uh, unnatural, as you know, people uh, used to think. Piero, our time is just about up, and I did want to ask you, what is your website that you mentioned earlier? It is very simple. It's my name, uh, Piero Fucci, uh, with two R and two C, and uh, dot .it. Dot .it, because you're in yes. Italy. Exactly. Right. .it. Okay. Both in, uh, both in Italian and uh, in English. In fact, there's one bit that still needs to be translated, but it will be translated shortly. Very good. A truly international show. Well, we have been speaking with Piero Ferrucci, author of Your Inner Will, Finding Personal Strength in Critical Times. Piero, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It was a pleasant, very pleasant. It was a privilege. So uh, I feel honored and thank you again. You'll find Piero's book on our website, ncreview.com, along with hundreds of reviews, interviews, and videos. I hope you'll come and visit. Next week, our guest will be James Van Prague, talking about his new book, Adventures of the Soul. And now we're going to close with our track of the week from Celia Farren. It is the Ho'oponopono prayer set to music.
Celia Farron singing Ho'oponopono from her album For the Asking. Celia is a singer-songwriter, comedian, and all-around Celtic goddess, and her website is celiaonline.com. Well, that's our show for today, and I hope you'll join us next week. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>